Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to the Neighborhood Pub and welcome to Pine Class Preachers. I'm Tom O'Neill, the King of Tremendousness, and joining me are my co-hosts, two randos named Josh and Gabe. Today we'll be exploring what it means to be an ugly American, why the world generally hates us and how we think about it, especially how we approach sharing the gospel in different cultures. Yo, 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 Josh, give me a P. P. Give me an I. I give me a N. N. No idea where this is going. Give me a T. T. What's that spell? Pint. What do we drink out of? P- uh, pint. Pints. Pint glass. Pint yeah, glass? it's the pint. pint glass preachers. Oh, perfect segue, dude. Back from a week and a half out, dozens of people have been on the edge of their seats, waiting for We're us on to the turn edge of out a bridge, some new material waiting to jump off. <laughs> I got to tell you, that little intro there was an epic cloud of suck raining down failure all over the place. Um, don't say suck. This is a family program. Seriously. <laughs> entirely inappropriate. Please. Tom, just ask me what I'm drinking. What are, you, what are you drinking, Gabe? Thanks for asking, Tom. I'm drinking Miller Lite, a fine Pilsner beer. I've decided for this podcast, I just want to drink like crap beer every episode i think well, there, there goes idea. another sponsor right well, there yep. they know who they are they know who they are stone come back come <laughs> back to a stone uh josh what are you drinking man well um i am smitten right now not just because my wife is beautiful but i'm smitten by the golden rye ale of bell's brewery oh, so man, i love got bells. one of those pints poured and it is delightful that's wonderful tommy what do you got <laughs> Well, also going with our theme of uh, Ugly American, I've decided to drink some PBR. Classic. Love it. Way to go, man. I'm proud of that decision. Red, white, and blue. America. I think PBR and Miller Lite are the exact same beer with different design work. <laughs> and I'm pretty Bud sure they're brewed in the same place. They are. So that makes sense. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, someone's backyard where a dog is wee-weeing. Yeah. Hey, so where have we been? Why are we not... Why has it been so long since we last released an episode my mom's well, been I've curious. got my theories on that. First of all, uh, we recently had Easter here, and since you two are pastors... Christ is risen. Uh, he is risen indeed. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Can I get a hallelujah from anyone, please? Someone listening, give me a well, hallelujah right now. Is that with an H or an A? I was going to say, you, Either. you're an H-man, Josh. I am an H-man. I am an H-man, and if I see it spelled with an A, I actually change the spelling to the Hebraic form, uh, I'm all, the pure form. I'm all about the A, man. That's because you love philosophy, just like the Greeks. It's true. And hedonism. It's tr- that as well. That as well. And stoicism. We just lost half of our listeners. And epicureanism. My, my point here is that because it was Easter, because you two are pastors, uh, what, what I think that meant was that you guys actually had to work a full week. We did. Uh, with multiple services, meaning that you had to take the entire next week off for comp time. 
Is it, Am I right? Is exactly right. It is the one week a year that we work, and it is exhausting. I don't know how so normal people do it. It is like it's insane. It is tiring to have a real job. Uh, so it is good to be back in the the lazy life of pastoring and uh, just chilling now. Yeah, uh, actually, speaking of l- the lazy life of pastoring, so it, it is tradition that the church essentially shuts down the week after Christmas and the week after Easter. You know, because since we actually work those weeks, we need a full-blown week afterwards to recuperate. Naturally. So here is a very sad, pathetic, but yet endearing story of how I spent my week after Easter. Story time with Josh. Story time with Josh. I feel like I should put everyone on my knee, on my lap right now, bump you up and down, and read you a story. I'm already there, buddy. But since that would be awkward for everybody, I'll just tell it to you. So my wife, Jenny, who is phenomenal, uh, <clears throat> she did something. She's, she's not a very, she's the type of person that like when presents are around, she doesn't like to wait. Uh, she likes to open them, doesn't really hold like the sneaky thing. So I always, I always have to be really good at hiding presents. Well, she, she got me back this year. And for my birthday, she went out and did probably one of the sneakiest things ever. She got a second job, of which I had no idea she was doing, opened up a separate bank account, once again, of which I had no idea was going on, and then about a month before Easter, begins asking me some very sketchy questions about, can I put $300 on this credit card? Can I borrow $500, blah, blah, blah? And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is going on? Dude. So I asked her. I just asked her straight up what was happening. And she had gone through all this work in such a sweet and amazing way to surprise me for my birthday and after Easter for a little vacation to take us down to Panama. As in, like, not Panama City, Florida, which confuses a lot of people in the South, but the actually the country of Wait, Panama. there's another Panama besides Panama City? Can you believe I it? I am Can you believe in it? shock. I know. And, yeah. It's pretty insane. I, I was surprised myself. And so we flew down there. This sounds like an epic vacation, right? Sounds awesome. What a perfect way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, it was all good until we left on the plane. And for the entire trip, the entire trip, we had crazy fevers and delirious fever dreams, strep throat, sinus infections, and we both laid in this bed literally a hundred feet from the ocean, seeing like tropical islands in our view of this Caribbean Panama getaway, puking our brains out. Dude. Hashtag vacation, hashtag vacation from hell. It was seriously the most ridiculous thing on the planet. And the whole time we were like, I can't believe this is happening. The one and only week that we've ever done this. Well, I was going to say, I mean, the nice thing is you vacation a lot, typically in exotic places. So it's not like, that big a deal. True, but this was the first time to Panama that is not Panama City. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Dude, I'm sorry to hear that. So were, were you guys going to surf and stuff too, and you weren't able to? Oh, do- we were going to surf. We were going to explore. We were going to eco-adventure. Um, you know, we were going to eat some great food. I was really excited about all the seafood and everything, and, like, I think we ate a combined total of five meals the entire time we were down there. 
Dude. So it was it was pretty ridiculous. And let me tell you something. I made the biggest mistake of my life by watching. I rented the movie Everest on the plane ride down there because it was like a four-hour flight. And I'm like, oh, what could pass the time? Then watching a bunch of people die on top of the tallest mountain on the earth, right? Sure. Makes a lot of sense. So I watched this movie Everest. Well, in the ridiculous, like, fever dream that I had the first night I was there, every time I closed my eyes, I was either falling off of Everest, freezing to death, running out of oxygen, like just one of those crazy things where you you wanted to sleep because you were so sick, but every time you would try to go to sleep or return to sleep, the fevers would bring on crazy dreams. So I got stuck with Everest. Je- Jenny was getting killed by like Vikings or something. So needless to say, it was a fairly intense vacation. Dude, no doubt. Hey, can I ask you a question about that? I guess. Um, do I have a choice? No. Like, I am sorry that you were sick, but did you do your duty as an American and get our canal back? <laughs> Dude, no. We pretty much still own the canal. We do? Just so you know. Oh, yeah. So this is crazy. Like, I've never been to the Panama Canal. And, you know, same thing as you. I thought we lost control of it. Right. And, you know, and all of a sudden they're stomping and burning American flags mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the canal. Like, you know, the Europeans are taking over with their cruise ships. <sighs> and so <sighs> we went down there. But... We, uh, so, like, we flew into Panama City, and then we had then we were flying to this little chain of islands called Bocas del Toro. So we had to catch a little kind of puddle jumper flight from Panama City to this island. Well, the little airport, you had to drive basically right by the Panama Canal to get to this local airport. And as we're driving by, the driver is telling us and showing us these massive, like, government administrative buildings, big, huge, like housing subdivisions and stuff that are all for American engineers and uh, American controllers of the the Panama Canal. So let me relieve all of your fears and the fears of all other Americans. We still control the Panama Canal. Oh my gosh. Thank you for the scouting report. I Dude, speaking of sleeping well, I'm going to sleep great tonight now. As you should. So two questions on that. One, do we simply maintain it because we're the ones who built it and have maintained it for years and years, and so we have all the expertise there? Or or do we actually have, are we administering, and do we get to say who gets to go through the canal or not? Uh, well, Tom, the first response would be depending on who's going to win the primary in your neighboring state of Wisconsin tonight. <laughs> and if he wins then it would be that we should control it. We should continue to control it because we're the smartest people on the planet and everyone else is dumb. Lovely sentiment. Which brings me to the second question. When you were down there, were you, you talked about ecotourism. Were you there at staying in the nice resort with a bunch of other rich American and Europeans or were you, were you trying to stay as a, as much of a local as you possibly can. Pretty much as much of a local. Uh, both my wife and I hate to stay at like major resorts. We're more of the adventurist and want to live as locally as we can whenever we go on vacation. And so this was an eco lodge where uh, it was on just like this one little island in this chain. It was called, uh, we flew into uh, the island of Cologne and then took another little flight over to Bastimentos. And so while on Basti, we were basically like at this little, it was, it was essentially like 
a little restaurant cafe, not cafe, but like a little restaurant hut kind of thing, and then a couple of bungalows on the beach tucked away amidst the residential area of this island. So it wasn't like a resort, you know, one of those all-inclusive sandals, Montego Bay kind of things. Um, but it was more than just like some dude's house that we found on, you know, Airbnb Panama kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's typically how we like to roll, uh, you know, an eco lodge basically. I like it, Josh. I like it. Hey, so speaking of being Americans abroad, that is what we're talking about today. And, uh, I think there's, there's a, there's a whole herd of questions surrounding that. And so I kind of, I want us to get into it. So let's move towards that. But before we do that, let's take a break real quick. Uh, Written to Speak, our first guest, Tanner Olson, just dropped a new album called All Things. And uh, here is a sampling of a track off of that. You should uh, check it out. Hope you enjoy it. Speak up. Speak up like everyone is listening even if no one is near. Speak up like you just conquered your biggest fear. Speak up with your hands, move them side to side, up and down, create shadow puppets, tell a story of a man who wanted to speak up and learn to do so without his mouth. Speak up with nickels, pennies and dimes, spend them on the poorest kids in town. Speak up like those words have been building since the day you were born and you're about to give birth to the first honest sentence you've ever formed. Speak up like your lungs are full of love and you've been asked to fill the world with one word at a time. Speak up. Step into your words, the ones you've been shouting for years on the inside and are finally ready for them to see the outside. Speak up like you just met Jesus and he was walking with your grandfather and both of their arms wrap around you tight. Speak up like you just won free chips and guacamole for the rest of your life. Speak up. Seriously, like if you guys haven't the uh, had the opportunity to check out Written to Speak, once again, he was our first guest on this podcast. Go check it out, especially this new album that dropped. Uh, that was pretty sick. So much obliged to you, Tanner, for letting us uh, uh, share some of that audio and some of your creative work with our listeners here. And uh, once again, just to encourage you guys to go check that out. Okay, so when I was flying through the airport, um, doing this traveling to this vacation from hell, we were on an airplane, since it was over spring break, for, or Easter break, spring break, whatever, for a lot of schools, we were surrounded on our plane, both departing from Atlanta to Panama City and then returning back to Atlanta from three or four massive teams of church missions groups. You know the kinds with the shirts that say, like, yes. you know, with the different shading that say, like, be the change you, or, like, this one said, uh, it was, like, be the good you want to see, but only be the good was, like, in a different color. So it was sort of like this weird generic be the good kind of thing. Uh, and then we had another, you know, mission group that it was like the Southeast, you know, mission Alliance or whatever, going to save whoever this people group was that they were reaching out to. You know, it's like they were all matching they all had backpacks, you know, it's like these young kids who were just high on Christ, you know, wanted to go toss the Holy spirit around to a bunch of, you know, heathen in foreign countries. And it made me think to myself, as I watched these, these young vivacious, children ready to go save the world for Jesus, it made me think, my goodness, this is super like imperialistic uh, and almost condescending to think that somehow these, you know, young, young people like high schoolers are able or have this desire or at least kind of pride to say, hey, we're going to go save all these people in Panama because obviously they haven't heard about Christ until they hear it from us. Well, so, but here's the thing. I feel like you're making a few unfair assumptions there, right? So, like, my church, for example, that I lead, we do a couple different short-term trips a year, 
and I don't think we're imperialistic about it. Like we view it very much as a partnership. Like, hey, we want to go down there. Like these are the these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want to come alongside them and support the gospel work that they're doing in their community. Like I don't think there's anything imperialistic about that. So are you saying short-term mission trips are inherently imperialistic, or what's your distinction you're making here? I just think in general that's kind of the thing. In, in the same way that when you look at um, I mean, just think about all the, the church plants or, you know, new, new churches that start in your city. Like, I can't tell you how many I heard, at least here in Chattanooga when I got to town, where people would use rhetoric like saying, we're going to save this city for Christ. Like, you're a fool if you think you're going to save an entire city for Christ through your church. Like, that's, I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the world. So, but then, like, what's the distinction between, like, casting a big vision and like trusting that, that God's going to do his thing through whatever you're going to like, like, are you, I, I'm just gonna say, I feel like you're being a hater. Like, can't people dream dreams? Like, can't they well, no, dream that no, the I'm gospel would can't. go forth where they're going? Sure. No, I think, I mean, I think it's right. But, uh, I think that our faith is very grounded as well. And, and it always has been, you know what I mean? Like, the people of Israel never, you know, whenever God would speak to the people of Israel through the prophets, it was never like, hey, you're going to go literally convert the entire world as my people. It was always like, hey, try not to screw up being my people. And by the way, uh, we're going to go like conquer a bunch of, of other nations and then they'll know I'm but God. Bro, was, you know, it kind not, of thing? was it not consistently through the prophets like, hey, you're going to be a light to the nations like through you, the Gentiles are going to see me. Through you, the world's going to know that I'm God. All yeah, no, peoples I'm not, are going to stream to Zion. What I'm saying, though, is so then where, so then, you know, where were these epic conversions? Where there, there was never a point where entire nation groups or the, the world as the people of God knew it came to the light. There's never been a period of history where the light, as we all believe, is, is powerful and transformative. Uh, and ultimately changes hearts and minds and brings them to the good news of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. Happy Easter, everyone. But where does it ever say that, like, the entire Babylonian empire all of a sudden saw the light of the Jews and turned from their Gentile ways? Like, it just, it doesn't happen. And so what I'm saying is, like, when, when we go, like, I think we've got this mindset that we, that we say we want to come alongside people in their ministry, but the question that we have to ask ourselves in short-term missions in particular is what is what is driving our desire for that? Is it, uh, well, a few things. One, is it so that we can say, okay, we've done our duty as carrying out the Great Commission. Two, um, are we actually helping our ministry partners or are we hurting their resources, their time, and what they're doing? <laughs> Okay, so there is a there's a lot to unpack here, and I think we need to we need to differentiate between the church in Chattanooga that says we're going to save this entire city for for Christ because of our one church, and I and and I, I agree with your point there that that's very unlikely to happen. Let's not let's not put a cap on God's power, but I think you're right. We haven't seen that type of thing in in history. I, I also think we need to differentiate between the very early church and prophets where you had these people going, you have Paul and, you know, these guys going into these cities and sharing something that they had never, ever, ever heard before. Uh, and now bring it to, to this church group on, on your plane that are going down to Panama. Uh, the likelihood that, that the people in Panama have never heard about Jesus Christ ever is probably pretty low. Whether they believe or not is not the issue here for the moment. Uh, 
So for them to go down and say, yeah, we're going to share Jesus because they've never heard on it, heard of him. That's, that's being very naive. Now, I think they're going down with a good heart. Are they going about it the right way though? And I think that's the thing that to me that sticks out right away is you mentioned, you know, are they hurting more than they're helping? I, there's an entire book called when helping hurts and great, great book, by the way. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and there's, you know, a, a bunch of other books that basically say the same thing. And, you know, to your point, Gabe, it's when we go down there and or anywhere. OK. And I, I keep saying down there because a lot of my mission experience is going down to South America and working in Peru and Colombia. So anywhere. It, it's all about relationship. We can't just go down there and say, we're going to paint walls because that's what, that's what we raise money to do. And we think that's what you need. And while we're painting, we're going to be singing Jesus songs. Like you, you just can't do that and expect any kind of result. But if you're going down there and saying, we are, we want to come alongside you in whatever way you deem appropriate. I think that gets us a lot further down the road than anything else. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I think that's, yeah, so what are the results? I, and I mean, obviously, that's gonna, that's determined by, you know, when Axley Ander goes to Guatemala and Costa Rica, what, what are the results that you want to see happen? And I'm not asking you to answer that right now, but I think that's a question. Like, here, here's a great example. Um, so just by the nature of our ministry, we tend to uh, identify and look more like, say, the ministry partners that, that you guys would go visit, Gabe, in South, you know, Central America right. than we would, say, Axley Ander. So we were like, hey, here's one way that we kind of have to bite the bullet and invite groups to come work with us and serve with us and, and become ministry partners because it's necessary for our survival. Even though I didn't really want to do it, but I saw it as this kind of necessary evil in order to, to f- you know, hopefully find sustainability. So when this group came down, they, the first questions out of their mouths, and by the way, we have a great relationship with this youth group and with this church, um, and it was an incredible experience for both of us for a number of reasons, but before they came down, they said, okay, the first question out of their mouth was, so what service projects are we going to do? What are we going to fix? What are we going to repair? You know, what are we going to make better? Right? And so I was thinking, okay, I guess I better come up with, well, we got some painting at the local school we could do. We can do this. We can do that. And so I set this whole thing up. And when a lot of those plans kind of fell apart while they were down here, there was some consternation, some anxiety from the, from the mission group that came down because they felt as if they hadn't accomplished anything, that this was, you know, falling apart in some way, that the initial motive that they determined for going down there, you know, was, was somehow no longer in existence. I think the service, the service thing though cuts, cuts two ways because that's a very American concept of we have to fix something we have to do something it's a very male perspective you know but but i think on the same on the same token when we are as christians and we want to go and 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 serve somebody else i mean we're told so many times in the bible to go and serve to wash one another's feet uh you know to give a cup of cold water that we believe that we're doing this thing that god wants us to do and then we're all we're also told you know hey it's better to serve and to show by your action than it is to go beat somebody over the head with the bible you know and so I think people honestly think that they that they are that they're doing the right thing when they ask you, hey, what service projects do we have to do? So, yeah. So, Josh, like as one who so so real quick, so our listeners are aware. So like kind of the distinctions we're making here. So like one, I Gabe here, I, I pastor a church in the suburbs. Folks 
living all right, you know, white picket fence, 2.5 kids, that sort of thing. Um, half a kid. Yeah, that's how that's statistics. Yeah. I don't know what the half keep Austin weird. That's man. right. Baby. Keep Austin weird. Um, half children. But, uh, Josh pastors a church in, in, uh, I don't know. Do you call it inner city Chattanooga? Is that a thing? Or no, I just call it like the hood or the projects. The hood, the projects, like so uh Urban America. Urban America. And so he is on the receiving end of like people from my church that would say, Hey, we want to help out this church that's in a a, a a poor community. So on the receiving end, what would you want then, Josh? Like what would be preferable? Well, uh to conclude that little anecdote that I just shared. This is actually why I said it, it ended up being pretty impactful because my goals were actually I didn't want them to do any kind of work uh, at all. I, as a matter of fact, I said, hey, when you guys come down, why don't you just spend three days just getting building – kind of like what you said at the beginning, building relationships. Uh, Tom, you said I think building relationships. I said just get to know these people because it's a whole different world, one you've never experienced, you know very little, to, if anything, about, um, and yet let's find some – unity and solidarity in Christ because of this shared faith that we had. And so by the end of the week, uh, like I said, we, we never, we, we always run into problems down here whenever we try and do something like that. And like we had paint problems, you know, we were running out of supplies and just time and it was hot and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of it, what, what both youth groups kind of said, uh, which was the best thing in my mind was, wow, we didn't like from our kids. It was like, wow, we didn't realize that a, a bunch of white kids from central Missouri are like us and we could build relationships and friendships with them. And the mm-hmm. kids from this mostly white suburban church in central Missouri said, oh, man, wow, these kids are really cool. Like it's changed my understanding and definition of what an say urban black youth is, you know, or looks like or talks like. And so it was more of the, it wasn't so much what can we accomplish so that we can kind of mark our missions checklist, but rather, as you said, the very beginning game, how can we come alongside a ministry partner and sort of like strengthen and encourage them? Because the encouragement we got emotionally and spiritually from them far outweighed the paint that they put up on the walls in the local elementary school. Right. You know, that, that reminds me of a story I I, I led mission trips uh, down to down to Peru. We went to the same orphanage every year. Uh, Melissa, Gabe's wife, and I led a bunch of them together. Uh, Gabe and I even went down together one year. And uh, the first couple of years, you know, we came down, and, and I do believe that we came down with the right perspective of when we went down there first, we asked, hey, we want to bless you in some way. We do have money. And we would like to help out in any way possible. And they had work projects for us. And we did that. But, you know, I'd work for an hour and then put down my hammer because some kid would pull on my shirt sleeve and say, let's play soccer. And then we'd go play soccer. And half the time I'm working, half the time I'm playing with kids. And each year we would ask them, what do you want us to do? And by about the third or fourth year, the the mother of the home, her name was Erica, she, she says to me, she says, you know, Tom, we don't really care what you do on the work projects. It's really nice. And we hope that you still do bring down this money because it helps us out a lot with the things that we have to do around here. But honestly, the, the most impact that you have is just sitting and playing with the kids. You having a kid up on your shoulders for an entire week does more for that kid's faith, does more for that kid's self-esteem and whatnot than, than anything else. And in, and in huge contrast to that, uh, we were down there one year and this guy came down. His name was Pepe or his nickname was Hermano Pepe. And he ran a, uh, 
an orphanage in, in Mississippi. And to raise money, what he would do is he'd come down on these trips to South America and, and visit all these orphanages, and he'd bring along all his big donors. Uh, and you, just your very typical white, rich American, right? They, they would come into the orphanage, and we were there one time while we were there. He came in. They jumped off the bus, and they immediately started snapping pictures of all, all the poor kids, you know? And they're like, oh, quick, come over here, little kid. I want, I, I want a picture of a brown kid who's, who's poor, you know? Yeah. And taking pictures. And Hermano Pepe just thought he was the, like, the king of the world because he, he was showing he, – he was, he was going to show these poor people, you know, what it means to be, to be awesome, you know? And then he – in all his grandeur and glory, says, I'm going to provide you with a good American meal. And he brings out the nastiest-looking hot dogs, and I hate hot dogs to begin (laughs) with, right? I mean, like, I'm not even sure what parts of animals, like, I joke around that, you know, hot dogs are just parts of a pig and a horse, but, like... Ears, cheeks. I'm not sure. That's true. I mean, and I love hot dogs. I love hot dogs. Oh man, they're disgusting. Because I wasn't raised by by Al Qaeda, so um, go on, Tom. (laughs) Wow, wow, Panama hashtag Panama Canal on that one. No doubt. So, so he comes out. He's like, everyone needs a good American meal, hot dogs, and he had like oranges and Oreos, and like I agree. He he traveled like internationally with hot dogs. (laughs) Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. Like in his checked baggage or something? (laughs) He bought hot dogs in Peru, which again looks like the pink slime that we saw in those documentaries about from McDonald's. It looked like they just put pink slime in a tube and that's what a Peruvian hot dog looks like. (laughs) And, and he's like, you're going to have these, you're going to have oranges and he's going to have Oreos. Now I agree with him that every child on this earth should have the chance to eat an Oreo just because they're delicious. But just the way he went about it, and then literally it's like he clapped his hands together like, all right, I've done my work here. These kids are now Americanized and can die happy. And, you know, jump back in his bus with his rich white American people and and left. They were there for an hour, and the kids just barely knew what hit them. And this guy thinks that he made a significant impact in their lives Yeah, because he came in, took pictures of them, and give him a hot dog. Like, he graced them with his presence. Oh, my gosh. It was the worst, Hermano. Well, well, I, I think that's th- – and, and I think I, I, it was a broad-sweeping generalization at first, but I think that there's a certain kind of, like, ostentatious way that American mission groups carry themselves when they travel overseas. You know what I mean? This kind of, like, flippancy with – I don't know. I, ostentatious is really, is really the only word that I can think of because it's kind of this uh, – and when I say imperialistic, I know that carries a lot of really, really heavy historical overtones. But, like, that's a perfect example. You know what I mean? Like, they came down with the best of intentions. Hey, let's go, you know, show our donors these kids and, and we'll raise some money and help provide. Like, those are all good intentions, I guess. But the way that it was carried out was so ugly and so wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even I don't even think they had best intentions. I think that guy was just trying to wring as many dollars out of his donors, so he thought that was a good way to do it. But well, but but to be honest, your though, point still stands. Ring, I mean, Tom, you do fund development. I mean, wringing dollars out of donors <laughs> isn't a bad thing. You know, I mean, no, like, no, it's not. But 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 not when you're exploiting exploiting other people to do okay, it. Like, yeah. uh, like, let's bring it to America. I'm not going to grab 
I, I, I'm not going to grab my donors and bring them to the home of a poor person and say, hey, can we can we sit in your living room for a little bit? Let us bring you a pot roast that you can't afford, you know, and we'll make you feel really good here for 20 minutes so that you can eat. And then we're going to walk out like. Right. Wait, so that's that's not an effective fundraising strategy for me in the projects. No, no. Crap. Okay. Back to the drawing board. Well, so, hey, I think you're tapping into something here. Like, uh, you know, the the distinction of like, how do we put it? The how do we lose our Americanness, American call? And 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 I don't I don't want to be like too broad in my generalization because I you know am an American, happy to be an American, you know, grateful for where we live. But like when we travel overseas, when we do things that way, like there is an inherent baggage that comes with that. And so how do we shed ourselves of that? Like, I feel like it's, it's just like wearing glasses. Like sometimes there's blinders that I can't see. Well, so in all the training that I've ever been through, you know, it, it really honestly starts with the really simple stuff. Do some homework. Figure out what some of the local customs and, and culture is. Figure out how to say, please, thank you. Where's the bathroom? And can I have some chicken, please? You know, like get some basic statements down in the Don't language. Don't eat guinea pig in Peru? It's not like a yeah, delicacy. Cooey. It's delicious. So good, man. Seriously? Yeah, it's really good. And I mean, I would I would do it. I'd be, I'd be down for sure. And alpaca. But... You know, you, if you if you go to a restaurant and expect them to know English in their country, that's that's we always called it being a loud, obnoxious American. You know, you need to you need to figure out how to order. You wouldn't if someone came and just spoke Spanish at you here in America. You know, you would say, "Please speak in English so I know what you're what you're saying." Why would we not expect them to know? <laughs> well, yeah, not in Texas, but up here in Minnesota, that's how it would be. It's not wearing your most flashly garish jewelry and stuff like that. Just start there. Start simple. Is that and why then, moo-moos are a big thing in Minnesota? <laughs> what? I said, is that why moo-moos are like a big thing in Minnesota? No one, wa- no one wants to be flashy and wear anything legit, so we wear like weird old li- woman smocks. <laughs> Dude, moo-moos are a big thing in Minnesota because people in Minnesota are big. Wow. I'm just saying. Wow. Roast. You know it's true. It's the winter layer. You need it to stay warm. I think it's a fashion style for a certain group of people. <laughs> I'm just saying, whenever I fly from the south back up north, whenever I have a layover in, like, Chicago or the Twin Cities, there's a distinct difference in the size of person that boards the plane. That's all I'm saying. That is interesting. Yeah. Uh, I notice it every time when I fly down to your, your place, people simply decide that dressing up is putting on their boots that don't have cow crap on them. Well, so, that's true. Hey, but we all got most our teeth. <laughs> but, I mean, going back to this, like, how, how do we avoid how do we avoid being the loud, obnoxious American? How can we, how can we start off on the right foot? I mean, pre- I mean pre- in my mind, I think it's preparation. And, uh, and perhaps this is where, as pastors or mission groups leaders, maybe we fall short in terms of our preparation, you know, because we want to get all the logistics, the details, make sure everyone feels safe, you know, that, that the plans are laid out and, and everything like that. But, you know, where is the the kind of like theological impetus for, you know, why we do it? And Gabe, you and I talked about this uh, at, at Camp Arcadia last summer when we brought up, you know, Philippians chapter two, 
It's like if we look at the example of Christ, you know, he could have come in just riding on all the glory of heaven into this earth and be like, all right, you guys suck. I'm here to save you. But he didn't. And the way that scripture describes it is that he, you know, kind of lowered himself, took on human form in this servant-like humility so that he could then lead us to redemption and everything like that. And so I think maybe one of the, I want to say like solutions, but perhaps one of the insights that we can take from all the, you know, kind of ugly, ostentatious Americanism that we see sometimes is simply to say we don't need to dis completely discard our American identity because, like, yeah, we're American. We can't we can't escape it. And right. there are some really great things that we can bring to the table. So not just to get rid of it entirely, but to say, okay, you know, we can lay aside and put down certain aspects. Like Americans are loud. We're very obnoxious, which means that we're funny and witty and hilarious and bold, and we like to take control of things, which has has done a lot of good in this world but perhaps the mission field is one of those situations where we say hey let's put down the bright blue shirts that say you know do walk humbly or whatever and why don't we just look like normal christians what does a normal christian look like josh someone who doesn't wear terrible christian (laughs) t-shirts i mean that just goes without saying fair enough fair enough all right pierced What we're going to do here is uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk specifically about what that looks like. Let's transition to from the logistics of going to another country and how to blend in a little bit, how to not be so loud and and obnoxious, and how we specifically uh, tailor that to sharing the gospel. And if you want to blend into the Midwest, just wear a muumuu. Love it. Listen to some more Tanner Olson right now, written to speak all things. Some days you'll need the open road and loud nostalgic music. You'll need phone calls with family and conversations with old friends. Some days you'll need the rain and you'll need the window down. Some days you'll need to get out of the car and take a picture in the middle of the road or pull over to watch the sunset. Most days you'll need a cup of coffee and an open Bible. And you'll need to get a refill on both. Some days you just need to be reminded that today is another day and you'll need to do things to remind yourself that you're you and you're alive to live. But every day we will need each other. And we will need to be reminded that we aren't alone. Every day we will need meaningful hugs and hopeful smiles. We will need to hear we are loved and that it's okay for us to be ourselves. Some days we will have to ask to be told these things. Other days, honest words of love will be freely spoken into our lives. Those are the days we live for. Those are the days that keep us alive. And being alive is a good thing. All right, well, once again, that was our boy Tanner Olson, a.k.a. Written to Speak. His new album, All Things, just dropped uh, recently, and you should check it out. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. Um, it's it's at FYE at the mall, if you guys remember FYE. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's not there. Dude, they still have one in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Really? There's a dude. Yeah, there's a dude who plays in the worship band at, uh, at Lake Point who I'm pretty sure still works at FYE. That is amazing. How, what are they even selling it's right Dude, next like, to the blockbuster. No, Tom would have been so excited. Last time I was there, they had like life-size Star Wars cardboard cutouts that they were selling along. That's awesome. Alongside the CDs collecting dust. Well, hey, let's get back to our topic. So um, sorry to disappoint everyone, but we do not have a guest this week uh, because we don't need one because we've uh, all kind of had some experience in this week's topic. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to get at is we, we've kind of talked about the idea of like, cross-cultural missions and the struggle of being an American 
um, and, and entering into another cultural and trying to, to share the gospel there. Uh, but one of the things that, that I've found is being a Christian in America trying to advance the gospel. And, and oftentimes the logic kind of goes like this, like, hey, okay, you, you know, religious weirdo, you can believe what you want. That's fine. Just don't try to get me to believe what you believe. It's ignorant and closed minded of you to think that everyone should believe what you believe. Uh, have you guys experienced that at all? What's I don't know. Am I alone? It's just you, Gabe. People just no, don't like me. I, I think that's true. I mean, it, it comes from what makes America great is that we it's funny. We we love these freedoms that we have of freedom of speech and freedom to bear arms and, and all this stuff. But we also have freedom of religion. And it, for the for especially a lot of Christians, it's like, yeah, but you have to be, you have to be Christian. That that's your freedom of religion. You just have to pick a denomination within Christianity. What you know? Funny you say that. I believe historically that was the logic behind it. That like behind it, it was like, yeah, freedom of religion, just whatever Christian denomination you want to be, uh, which of course is not what it means now. But uh, I think we're hearing more and more about how the forefathers and whatnot were a little more polytheistic, if you oh, will. For sure. Like I'm not like. Their theology was a mess. But what I'm saying is, like, back in the day, I mean, like, you think of, um, like, Plymouth Rock and, like, Massachusetts and, like, the founding of that, like, it, like, being a church member counted as being a member of your colony. I mean, it was like voting in a church was synonymous with voting. And so there's, like, there. Yeah, in God we trust. Right. I, mean, I mean, all, it's all on that's every- there. Like, there, there's no. And the. Not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. Probably, I guess my gut would be not a great thing. Um, but I guess what I'm getting at, though, is is like I, none of us think that way, and and I, none of my friends I don't that are Christians think that way. Yet at the same time, I absolutely want everyone to know Jesus, and I feel like there's an inherent resistance in our culture when I say. Oh yeah, you know, you believe that stuff about the world, and that's what you believe to be true. That's cool, but uh, you're wrong. And here's the truth: it's Jesus. Like people don't want to hear that. Is that how you come? Well, out no, I say don't it? say it that way. No, I'm like I'm like as diplomatic and nice as possible. I'm just no, but that's what I'm saying. Like because we've got people who do say it like well, that. Well, sure. You know, you know what I mean. Which is which is very ugly, um, and I think that gives, you know. I mean, many people have said this before, but it gives Christianity kind of a, a bad name. You know what I mean? Like, I, uh, I actually just met with a, a, per, a local professor at, um, or a professor at our local uh, University of Tennessee, you know, Chattanooga. What's the mascot? And uh, the Mox. The Mox. Yeah, the Mox. They actually made it to the NCAA tournament this year. Hey. Got destroyed uh, in the first round. But you know what? We made hey, it. Way to go, Mox. And if you had fun, you won. That's what my mother-in-law always says. <laughs> what a loser. So, okay, go on. Yeah, I know, I know, I know right? Uh, no, but, like, she had uh, she had just kind of randomly found found me in our church uh, online and was trying to set up um, a panel on race media and or race and gender in the media for this class, this communications class that she was teaching. And uh, so she had given me a f- call on the phone and then was like, hey, can we get together for lunch? 
And the one of the very first things she said to me was like, look, I know you're a pastor. I know like this Christianity thing is like a big deal for you. Um, you know, but like, I'm an atheist, like never been part of the church. I'm very irreligious. So, you know, I know that's where you're coming from, but let's not, you know, overdo it essentially. Right, right. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool. You know, no problem. Like in the same way, trying to be diplomatic and tactful yet at the same time, not wavering on my strict observance and adherence that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. You know right. what I mean? Um, and what was really fascinating is by the end of our conversation, she came up to me and, and it was, it was just like this weird kind of guilt thing, but she was like, man, anything I can do to help your church, I'd, I'd like to, you know, would it be okay if I even like, you know, came on a Sunday morning Dude. and, and I was like, yeah, I'm like, you don't have to do that though. You know, and it wasn't like I was turning her away from hearing the gospel, but just the way that she was speaking, it was kind of like her first encounter with a, that, that didn't have that kind of ugly Christendom to it, sure. you know, where it was like, Hey, this is the, the way or the highway get on, or I'm going to Mad Max you out, you know, kind of thing. I and, think there's a, I think there's a weird dichotomy there though. When you have some Christians who will say, the apostle Paul was bold. He went in and said, yep. look, you either believe in Jesus or you're going straight to hell. And he got thrown in jail. He got stoned. He got, you know, all these different things. And that maybe that's what we need to do. And people aren't going to like us. And that's too bad. But then you have the other side that says, I'm going to be more diplomatic. I think yep. I can win over more hearts that way. And and sometimes I feel like we're, we're too soft. And you never pull the trigger. You can still, yeah. What you never that? pull the trigger. Right, right. And so, you know, where, where's the, the middle ground there? No, I don't think the guy screaming from the corner, holding up his Bible, yelling at cars passing on the road, saying that they're going to go to hell. I don't think, in the end, I don't think that's the right well, there way. There goes my Saturday but, plans. Right. But, like, how do we mimic what Paul did and turn so many people to Christ? Well, I think, I think that actually raises a really good question, Tom, because... There was a religious plurality uh, and, an, you know, an environment that was sort of welcome to that when Paul was doing his preaching and teaching. And in the same way, we've got a religious plurality here in America. So, you know, is there a difference? Was there a difference between the, you know, context and, and environment in which Paul was able to very boldly proclaim on street corners and in the Areopagus and, and other places, hey, you're wrong, this is right, um, that's somehow different from the, you know, nature of religious freedom and, and plura plurality and relativism here in America right now. You know, I'm going to say something that I've always kind of railed against because I've never been comfortable when people have said this because I, but it, to me right now, and maybe this is just what I'm seeing out of Hollywood itself, but it feels like right now is a really popular time to beg on Christians and to just Christianity is the worst, but, but at the same time being totally tolerant of any other religion or even semi-spiritualness. Tom? That's kind of what I see. And I, and, sometimes and so, no, you, should I don't think a, you should put that on a Christian t-shirt <laughs> with, like, statistics. That'd be a great thing to sometimes, do. Sometimes, Tom, wouldn't it, wouldn't when it? I've we never do seen this one show, before. I don't know if we're going to get, uh, you know, MSNBC Tom or Fox News Tom. <laughs> 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 and I think we just got Fox News Tom. Dude, he's within the, the geographical aura of Donald Trump that's, right now. So we oh, have that's to, the problem. You know, remember that. That's what's happening. <laughs> he's like within a 500 he's, square he, mile radius of Trump. He, yep, he's within 500 square miles. <laughs> well, 
Hey, I prefaced it with saying I've usually railed mm-hmm. against this, but it's it, uh, it when we talk about Paul, I, I think he was in that he was in a time when anything went, everything had equal play, yeah. and I and I think right now we're we're in a time period where every everything doesn't get equal well, play. Well, here's the even though here's the distinction, man. Paul, the Apostle Paul, for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the New Testament, he's wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, kind of the first Christian missionary, really big deal for those of us in the church. Uh, he is evangelizing, advancing the gospel in a pre-Christian era, right? Where we are as a church now in the States is what I would call a post-Christian era, right? So we, we kind of, uh, you know, you go to either coast, that sort of thing, Um and even to to those of us here in middle America, it's more and more happening where people are just kind of over it, right? One in three millennials, however you want to define that, would def- define themselves as non-religious. So we're we're moving to this post-Christian era, and that's where I think the distinction is, where it's like there's so much baggage of the church in our culture that people just instantly put a hand up because they're like, nah, I've seen what I want to see there, and that's enough. Whereas Paul... No one knew what the heck he was talking about. You know, they're all kind of laughing at him like, you're crazy, man, because they have no idea where he's coming from. Well, I think either either way, whether I, you know, whether, whether we're here in America talking to our fellow Americans or whether we are overseas, I think we have a duty to to connect with people and connect them to the gospel. But we need to figure out how, how to do that. And we need to figure out how to do it better. And it, it's going to mean, it, it's going to look different whether we're in Panama or whether we're in Chattanooga or whether we're on the East coast or West coast. Listen, I was on vacation in Panama, although so many people, when I said I was going out of the country, assumed it was for a mission trip. Dude, can I tell you a funny can't, story? Can't about a that? pastor because... just take a vacation? Can't a pastor just take a vacation? <laughs> that's not mission related. Dude. So when I was in college, uh, hurricane Katrina hit, right? And, you know, everyone and their mother on spring break, who's a good Christian kid, is like going down to Alabama, to Louisiana, to Mississippi, and, and they're they're doing um, mission work. At, Especially if they're Lutheran, because we love our tornado relief oh, work. We about that life. We're so good at it. We are so about good About that it. life. Uh, but me and my buddies had made plans to go down to Gulf Shores, Alabama, like before the hurricane hit. And we just went to go vacation. And so like everyone, like everyone's like, oh, cool, man. You guys are going down to help people. I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to sit on the beach. Uh, <laughs> you're and a please tell person. me you were like surrounded by mission groups in oh, yeah. t-shirts. And, and a devastated town. But there I am on the beach. Like, But I did, Heartless. honestly, there is something to this where, I mean, we think maybe this will bring us full circle. We think cross-culturally. We think within our own country, whatever else. There, there actually is something to like a pastor just vacationing in a foreign land or like a dude just going to Gulf Shores. I mean, I don't know. This is going to get us into the world of economics here, but like you're contributing to the local society. You're investing in the people in ways that deem them as equal to you. You're saying, yeah, I'll pay you for your goods and services. I'll take care of your stuff. Like, like there's a dignity to not viewing people as a project, to not viewing a place as a project and just going there as a person uh, that I think is a good thing. You can't just say that to legitimize buying six 12 packs of Miller Lite <laughs> and thinking thinking that you're you're helping Come on, out. It's the only way I've been able to sleep at night since then. Oh jeez. You guys are probably just traipsing around Gulf Shores and Speedos and Momos. Dude, 
That's all. That's actually the only two options in the Midwest: winter, all mumos; <laughs> summer, all speedos. Hey, all right. Let's let's move off this. Let's uh, let's. We've had quite a few comments, uh, questions, and whatnot on on social media that we'd like to address. And so let's get into that a little bit so that we can we can actually listen to you to you, the listener. Okay, so can I start us off with a few? Yeah, please do. So uh, on our sports episode, we we had a listener. I hope he's all right with me saying his name. Uh, Mark Barnes. He's a friend of Hi, Mark. He's a friend of mine. Actually, he's a great guy. Um, and uh, he writes this. I'd be curious what your guys' thoughts are. He says this: Sports tap into something primal. As cool as it is, sports can be, especially live events, can be a diversion from channeling those energies into real things around us. Family relationships, telling others about Jesus, or talking about the real life stuff on around us. I love sports, played them all my life for the most part, but I believe God put that desire and energy into us for a purpose. And as so many in America channel that into sports versus other real and more important endeavors, moderation is key. But when a guy can tell me the entire roster and latest trade deals for a team versus real-world events or other philosophical uh, discussions that really impact our society and the world around us, I tend to play along, but I find that discussion of real things becomes more enjoyable. So, I mean, I I kind of, I like Mark's comments here, right? That the idea being, yes, there's a place for sports in our life. They're a great thing. We love them. But uh, moderation is a place to... uh, to, to have in there. I don't know. Would you guys have any reactions to that? Hey, the, the thing he said at the end there about, you know, basically boiling sports down to it's really just not important. So, you know, we, we should be spending all of our time talking about other things. You know, I'm living here in Minneapolis and we're building a brand new stadium that's employed hundreds and thousands of people for the last three years, you know, millions and millions of dollars has exchanged hands. The economy of a lot of different people has changed because of that. We're going to have a lot more people who have jobs because of that stadium. We're going to, you know, the, the athletes who are making all this money, it's ridiculous how much they make, or maybe it's not. They're getting pounded out there and they're spending that money in the city here. You know, so it is sports is a real thing, whether you like it or not. Every single parent has kids in it seems like every single parent has kids in sports or dreading the fact that we have to be at a practice every single day or things like that whether we like it or not sports eats up and in a huge part of our culture and so it is a real thing and Mm. we i don't see why we shouldn't be talking about it well and i don't think he's yeah but you you highlight like the actual real life implications of sports i mean the economic benefit of building a stadium you know a stadium in your city like yeah that's huge but i think one of the things that i I keyed in on what mark said was that you know when a guy can tell me the entire roster and latest trade deals for a team like that seems to be the superficiality of sports where it's kind of like okay isis is like cutting people's heads off and you want to tell me about your fantasy draft league you know what i mean like is is there should we place higher value on one over the other Uh, But is there not a place for balance there? Like, I cannot talk all day about ISIS cutting people's heads off. Like, just psychologically, I can't do it. You know what I mean? Like, I I care. I love I mean, that's why he says moderate. Yeah, but that's why he says moderation is key. But what I'm saying is you can't take that, like, to, you know, to an extreme to say that all talk of sports or some other topic like that is, you know, kind of like futile or pointless or unnecessary. 
Agreed. Awesome. Mark, thanks so much for your comments, man. Please keep it up. Thanks, and, Mark. Uh, those of you, please keep adding comments. I'm going to give us one more, and then we'll move right along. Josh, I'm going to have you react to this one, all right? Um, so oh this boy. was off our race episode, uh, three white guys asking a black guy some questions, and our, our good friend Sarah Baker, who will be on the show soon. We're excited to have her on. Uh, she wrote this, looking at our schools of today tells us the issue of race is not getting better. Students of color continue to be dropping out of high school at higher rates than their white peers, not meeting academic standards, of course, standards set by white people, to name a few issues in the schools. Um, so I'll just, that she then talks about a link that she provides, which anyone can check out if they want to. But Josh, what do you think about that? You work a lot in the schools, in a black community. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, and, and education is just one indicator, uh, that the issue of race is not getting better when it comes to equity. Um, and, and education has always been a good litmus test because you can look at test scores, uh, you can look at graduation rates, you can look at college attendance, degrees earned, and then, and that eventually leads into employment where we see a huge disparity, uh, not only between median income, but also just, just job uh, joblessness and, and job employment when it comes to, you know, racial divisions. But it's not necessarily just like a black and white kind of thing either. We see the same things now, especially with the burgeoning Latino community that, uh, you know, that, that these, that the inequity in our educational system, um, still continues to cater to what is becoming a more and more racial minority in Caucasian America. Um, and so I actually responded back to this, uh, and, and it was a great question because Sarah was absolutely right that, that race, you know, or the education is a great indicator of issues when it comes to race, but it's just one of the ter- determining factors when it comes to systemic injustice. I mean, you've got to look at how education, socioeconomics, um, housing, employment, and all those other things fit together to really see whether or not we're shifting, um, you know, to the, to the positive, to the better, to the more equitable when it comes to, uh, you know, racial equity, essentially. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. And Sarah, thank you so much for the comments. And, uh, thanks Sarah. Really want to encourage y'all please keep sharing comments. We want to be in discussion with people. We want to be, uh, this to be a conversation. I mean, we love the sound of our own voices. We, we do. I mean, that's not even like, Oh, funny. No, we just do. Um, but we'd love to hear from you as well. So, so please do that. And a special thank you to those of you that are leaving reviews on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate that. Can I just share a couple real quick? Uh, we just got a most recent one. Um, someone wrote, these guys are to theology what click and clack are to car repair, uh, which as an avid NPR listener, I find quite heartwarming. So thank you for that. Uh, we also got a, and goes down so smooth, Luther's version of the Reformed Pubcast. Keep up the good work, gents. Take that, you tulips. Um, gents might be a bit, a bit gracious on his well, part. I'm not sure if we would qualify as gents, but we'll quite take frankly, it. Thank any you. review that doesn't say you guys are crap is gracious. So I'm going to take it. Preach. Yeah. Hey, we want to continue this discussion, but we'd love to have your input. I, we, we love all the, the nice things you say about us, but give us some input on what you want to hear us talk about. Uh, there's a million topics out there that we can explore. Uh, there's going to be topics we know a lot about. There's going to be topics we don't know anything about, and so uh, which would m- probably be more entertaining than most. So give us some suggestions out there. Put it out on Facebook. Put it out on uh, Twitter, iTunes, whatever. 
FYE or whatever that story is. <laughs> FYI, Tom. Go FYE to no longer FYE exists. FYE and hand out flyers yeah. to... Oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> About what you want to hear. Dude, that would be so good. Hey, well, uh, I'd love to offer a few shout-outs tonight Please. as we close this episode out. If you are ever interested in being on the mission team of the century and you're in the Austin, Texas area, please check out Axley Come on. Uh, and Pastor Gabe Casper for all those experiences which you can go build relationships with ministry partners around the globe. Come on. Particularly in Central America. However, if you want to experience what it's like to be a member of a country that is not America and have mission groups come visit you and you're in the Chattanooga area, <laughs> Feel free to stop by Bridge City Community uh, as we are, uh, well, we're among the mission field. Let's just be honest. And finally, uh, a shout out to Tom and whatever he's doing right now in middle America within the 500-mile radius of Donald Trump and watching women walk by in Moomoo's. Tom, we will pray for you. We will conquer your city in the name of Christ, and we will come and serve you as many hot dogs as your little tummy can't handle. I hate hot dogs so much. Oh, I love them. Hey, hey real quick though, Tom, uh, before did, you do did, your did thing. Did Janet feed you hot dogs? Did Janet feed you hot dogs? Janet made hot dogs I, growing up. I don't ever remember liking them ever. Like, not even as a little boy. Dude. Sorry, Mom. Hated so that meal. So Listen, we're going to do a hot dog episode one day soon because I'm going to explain to you why they're amazing. Um, but more to the point, yes, a special thank you to Tom's mom. Uh, we know you were sick a couple weeks ago. We are hoping you feel better. Um, also, hey, if you are a subscriber to this podcast, we are so grateful for you um, and uh, would encourage you to subscribe. Tell your friends, invite people to be a part of it. And if you're like the ultimate level subscriber, a regular is what we like to call you, a regular around the pint glass with us, uh, you're someone who, who donates to this and, and really helps uh, further what we're doing here, whatever that is. Uh, we're, we're grateful for that. There are expenses with that, and it's it's really appreciative that you guys would do that. So if you like what we're doing, want us to keep doing it, we'd love for you to hop on to pintglasspreachers.com, click away on there, and there's a way you can uh, just $1.99 a month really helps go to support uh, the cost of this show, helps us improve the quality and keep this stuff uh, up and running if, if this is fruitful conversation for you. So invite you to do that, to buy another round. Uh, so, so please do that, and we'd love to send you some extra swag with that uh, content, uh, extra content, extra pictures, Peruvian, Peruvian, hot, Peruvian dogs. hot dogs, you name it. Uh, whatever disease Josh got in Panama, we'll send your way. Whatever you want. Hey, actually, I got free T-shirts I can give away. You do? I do. I've got a ton of free T-shirts that I can give away. So if you subscribe and you become one of our regulars, I will send you a Wait, free T-shirt. Are these just like your T-shirts? Like they're not like <laughs> <laughs> cleaning out your closet. A little yellow under the pits. You know. oh, Dude, they make deodorant now, Tom. This is no, not no, 1992 no. when you were 12 years old. I got I got quite a few free T-shirts that I can send. Oh, I can't oh, wait for those. Uh Last call. Come on. Next week on Pint Glass Preachers, stay tuned because we are tackling the heavy-hitting topic of feminism. It's ladies' night on Pint Glass Preachers show, so you want to be there. Uh, Stay up to date with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, LinkedIn, LiveJournal. You name it, we're there. Uh, We'd love to have... FYE's website. What's that? 
Cosmopolitans and Skinny Girl Margaritas are on tap for next oh, week. Oh, man. It's going to be great. That is the most misogynistic, masochistic, whatever other letter that starts with M thing I could have said. So I hope I don't get in trouble next week when we talk with We're them. already in trouble. Oh, my gosh. we got to get out right now. Right now. Stop All it. All right. Later, bros. Oh.